Every seven years, the Agon begins. As punishment for a past rebellion, nine Greek gods are forced to walk the earth as mortals. They are hunted by the descendants of ancient bloodlines, all eager to kill a god, and seize their divine power and immortality. Welcome to the first five chapters. I am Luke Kerr, a writer and a podcaster who's forging these two passions into this novel, Book Review Podcast. Join me as I adventure into the realms and imaginations of today's authors. You never know who we'll meet or what we'll learn along the way. And when we're done, it's up to you whether or not to read beyond the first five chapters. Joining me today is my longtime friend, Casey Eckholm. Thank you for joining me on the First Five Chapters podcast as my first guest book reviewer, who's going to hopefully discuss a little bit of Lore by Alexander Bracken. Thank you for joining me. You're this welcome. This is so weird. <laughs> why, why are you doing this so... <laughs> this is so weird because this is also the first time for new listeners to this podcast or who may have listened to any of my other podcasts, I have recorded all of those in their entirety over Skype. So I've never actually had to sit across from someone and actually look at them um, while I'm doing the podcast. It's all audio. So now I'm literally sitting here looking at Casey and I'm having to adapt on my feet. So we'll, <laughs> and, I, and I'm sitting, so it's not going very well, obviously. Thank you for joining me. You're very welcome. I love being the guinea pig of all of your new podcasts while you figure out uh, what's going on with them. Well, and this is definitely one that is going to be a little bit of experimentation, different formats of episodes, different guests, interviews, those type of things. And we'll see how it all evolves over time. But I think that it's a fun concept and I hope you do too. So tell me a little bit about yourself as a reader. Like when you are going to a bookstore or browsing on a Kindle app, what are you looking for in the books that you read? So in regards to me as a reader, I will read literally anything. Um, I am happy to read things from thrillers and mystery to historic or um, or trashy romance novels, you name it, I'll read it. Okay. Normally, um, I know that you and I have talked about this in the past. I don't normally get into characters that are teenagers. So mm -hmm. I leave the YA books for the intended audiences. Mm -hmm. Um, because for me, it's hard for me to connect with, with a teenager. Um, okay. but some of those are still quality books. Um, for myself, um, I, read a lot um not always great published books by any means but i do read a lot of books so you might have a kindle unlimited plan that allows you to get everything for 9.99 a month um i have a couple different apps i actually don't use the kindle app okay um i have not found their selection or um their processes in regards to their memberships to be as advantageous for myself um but there's a couple that i read a couple that are n free to read where you just have to earn coins or something by reading um and uh that sort of stuff so i do read almost all of my books digitally okay right now because i used to buy a lot of books um, james patterson was my favorite author and i had all of his books up until my husband and i moved to fargo mm -hmm. and then i realized 
I have boxes and boxes and boxes of books to move cross country. I love the Kindle app, but there's something about going to a bookstore, pulling a book off the shelf, reading the back or the cover flap and just sort of being sucked into it or having an unexpected surprise. This entire podcast is based off of the fact that I was in a Flagstaff bookstore and I saw Wicked As You Wish and I just fell in love with the name. Just And I was like, okay, this would be a fun book review podcast to just talk about these things. And that's sort of how the concept evolved out of. But you don't have that same preview feeling for me when I'm reading on a Kindle app, I personally would love it if publishers had sort of like a target gift card thing. So like when you buy a, when you buy a book, there's like a scratch thing that you have to scratch off to Mm -hmm. get a code. And then you can register that code and say for four more dollars, you can get the digital copy of Mm -hmm. it as well. Mm -hmm. I would really love that because (laughs) if that was the case, I would buy the hardcovers every time they come out, I would Mm -hmm. get the digital copies and then it would just be this perfect balance for me. Whereas Mm -hmm. now I have to go to a bookstore, but I don't actually enjoy reading books, physical books. I would Mm -hmm. prefer to do it on my Kindle. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I want to support the author by buying the physical book, Mm -hmm. but I would rather read it on my Kindle app. Buying the physical book doesn't help the author more than it helps the publisher. So buying the digital copy still helps your author. I love reading physical books. However, they're just not as convenient. I mean, I already have a giant purse and having to fit something else in there is just insane to me where my phone is almost always with me and I read all the time. If I am waiting at a doctor's office, if I am on break at work, I read. Fair enough. I totally get it. Um, The question, I guess, should be is, where did you read Lore by Alexander Bracken? Well, my (laughs) wonderful and lovely friend, uh, you might know him, Luke Kerr, Uh borrowed me the book. So I I got to read the physical copy, Mm -hmm. um, which I apologize to Luke already that my cat did bite the corner of it. Probably another reason I don't have physical books, because uh, my one boy will destroy any paper products so i have never read any of um bracken's books Mm -hmm. she's she's a new york times best-selling author she's most famous for dark minds and the passenger series but lore was my first introduction to her as a writer i'm looking forward to diving into this with you but before we get to that in writing like i listen to a lot of writing podcasts Mm -hmm. and on the writing podcast there's often debates of are you a plotter or are you a pantser when it comes to your writing style, do you plot it all out or do you pants it? And then there's also the debates of people who love prologues and people who do not like prologues. For me personally, as a reader, I never read prologues. There are very few occasions where I will go back and read something that isn't a prologue, but most of the time, 99% of the time, I never read a prologue. This uh, lore doesn't have an official prologue, but they do provide us with a little bit of history. So did you read any of that? I did not when I originally read it. No. Okay. I did read it after the fact. I wanted to know the information that was within it. But I am with you. I do not read prologues if they are within a book. Mm -hmm. Because if it was important enough to really be part of the book, it would be. To, uh, that's how I feel about it too. And there was a book that I read 
last year and I actually read the prologue and mm-hmm. was actually more confused by the prologue going into the first chapter than I was in reading the book. I would have been better off not reading that prologue. I agree. And just from a purely confusing standpoint and people like you know that I'm very literal. So like if you're <laughs> going to throw me some sort of wild card in a prologue as some sort of like way back when history or something like that, that doesn't have anything to do with the current stuff no, I can't do it because it will just, it will actually decrease my enjoyment of the book, especially if it's that jarring for me. Yeah. And I would say that that would definitely be the case in regards to the unofficial prologue of lore Mm -hmm. that after the fact, after you've read it, it makes sense. But reading it ahead of time before you really get to have the story be told to you, Mm -hmm. it's very confusing and makes no sense. One of the things that you learn as a writer when you're trying to query and you are um, wanting to put your um, best work forward is that the first page, the first five pages, depending on the agent, sometimes the first 10 or 50 pages of your manuscript are the most important. But the first page has a huge role in whether or not you may or may not be able to hook an agent. And so I find it interesting to take a look at what authors have done. Now, granted, it's entirely possible that what the author has in the final product that we see as the reader may have been different than what they used when they are either proposing or querying. But I I wanted to take a look at the first page. So how did this open for you? For me, I mean, first, it kind of describes a strong woman. It doesn't give you a lot about her, um, but it definitely tells you a lot about her as she talks about fighting Mm -hmm. um usually somebody who enjoys fighting as much as she obviously does in this first page has some damage and we find that very very closely there just in the fifth paragraph where she talks about gill's death right that kind of brings us back to she has something that's happened that's why she likes fighting and i really feel like that kind of starts us off on a good understanding of this character even though we don't get a lot of details about her i also thought it was interesting that the opening line her mother had once told her the only way to truly know someone was to fight them first of all it was a great line because it's just the only way you're going to know someone is if you fight them now you and i have never physically fought but like i I go right now no no i do not (laughs) i would lose i would totally lose i thought that it was a great framing of it because of what it sort of lays the groundwork for what we find out later in in regards to her mother. I thought that the combination of her physicality combined with the heartbreak of Gil's mm-hmm. passing was a nice blend. I really enjoyed it. Um, and it definitely made me want to continue on. Like if I was picking this up at the bookshelf at Barnes & Noble, that first page, if I'm just scanning it, I would be re- definitely turning the next page. Yeah, Would and that have been the same for you? Absolutely. And definitely for people who really like a strong female character, I think that this first page really leans itself to that. And I mean, Laura's a badass and you can tell it just right, right from this first page. Oh yeah, absolutely. In the next couple pages between the first and the fifth pages, we have, um, we get a little bit of the setting. She's Mm -hmm. doing an underground fight in a Chinese restaurant. There's mention of the hunt cycle, which is something that we saw on the cover flap. Mm -hmm. And so we're building on what we've already learned if you pick this up off of a cover because you're you've read the flap you know that this is about a hunt you know that she's involved in it in some way and we're already getting those hints in the very early pages how did you feel those 
first, say, five, ten pages played out. I feel like my favorite parts of those first pages is how she describes everything. Yep. Because she gives us a little bit of details about kind of what's going on, but she's really starting to set the tone for the surroundings around lore and what's going on. Like the way she describes things. It's not just colors and... um you know layouts but it's the feelings of places it's the smells the way that you can put yourself there Mm -hmm. like the way she describes that dingy basement in Mm -hmm. that chinese restaurant right you can put yourself there like you you know exactly what that place looks like even though she doesn't really describe it that way i think that that does a really great job at kind of setting the tone for a lot of the ways that this book ends up going Mm -hmm. and those are the first things that I got from those first pages was how she's setting the pace and the tone of the book. This book was one that I found in the young adult section, but our heroine is not young adult by classic definitions. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned earlier that you have trouble with young adult stuff mm-hmm. most of the time. What did you think of her as a protagonist? Since we don't really outline exactly how old she is, and as you kind of go through um, a little bit more details about Lore, you find out, you know, she's not in high school. She's, you know... Early 20s Early 20s. And, and I feel like that's not really young adult. Granted, as I get older myself, um, <laughs> I realize how young 20 really is, but uh, not not to the point where it wasn't hard to connect with her. Um, I mean, I understand loss and information we've been given so far. And so it was easy to connect to her. What I thought was interesting is that we have the loss, we have her fighting, but then at the same time, we're what for me fleshed out the character was the fact that she was thinking about that. There's more to life than this Mm -hmm. because she realizes that she's in a cycle. Mm -hmm. She can't necessarily get out of it. We'll see how the book progresses. But like at the very beginning, she's like, there's more to life than this, which for me made humanized her, which at the Mm -hmm. very beginning when she's kicking ass, like you can kick ass, but a lot of times those type of characters aren't necessarily humanized. And so Mm -hmm. I thought that this was a good way for the author to do so. Right. And I will agree with that, that you're talking about like the cycle of the fighting and Mm -hmm. You know, she says that this this particular fight was a distraction. Like that was a very specific way she was describing this one. And and in that fight, she kind of breaks through whatever barrier she's created for herself mm-hmm. as she loses it with that kid that she was fighting. So yeah, I, I I agree. You know, it kind of makes you realize that she's not all put together. And, you know, you kind of see a little bit of her faults, so you can definitely connect with her. In a world where writers have to promote their best um, stuff for either getting an agent, querying, or selling a project, the the cliffhanger at the end of the first chapter is pretty darn important because if an agent is only requesting the first five pages and your chapter is only five pages long, or if they're only asking for the first chapter and it's six or seven pages, you want to hook them to keep them reading. I thought this did a really good job because... They have, they, we know about it in the cover flap, but we have it nailed home again where a hunter steps from the shadows of where she's fighting, like of the ring in which she's fighting. He's wearing a hunter mask and 
it sort of gave me chills, like from a standpoint of like, oh, what's happening? Are they here for her? What's going to go on? And I thought that it was a, done really well as a cliffhanger to make me want to read more. How did you feel about how the chapter one ended? I, I very much agree. We really just get a small amount of what a hunter means and a small explanation of the hunt. Um, I know that you keep talking about the cover flap. I didn't read it before I started reading the okay. book. So I went in completely blind. So for me, getting to that chapter one ending, she's given you just a little bit of the hunt, of what a hunter means, of what it means if a hunter finds lore. And so when we get to that last word, and it says hunter, and it's in caps, and it is italicized. Yes, absolutely. I was like, all right, I'm ready to turn this page. and. And it, that's exactly what I did. And you turn the page and what she brilliantly does is start off chapter two with a single word is blazoned through her mind, run. And as I'm saying this to you now, as we're discussing it, it's giving me chills. That to me, you have this great cliffhanger, you pick it up with something that is like fight or flight. Mm-hmm. And she, and that is, has pulled me in completely. And at this point, I'm hooked. Right. Completely hooked. Absolutely. Like for me, you transition from hunter to run. And though, again, we don't know a lot about what exactly that means. My response was flight for me. It resonates with me because that's exactly what I would have done. And that's what I was screaming to her as soon as the word hunter was on the end of that first chapter. That's what I knew. I was like, run. Oh my gosh, she has to run. But then she stays. She does. And we get a little bit more details about the mask. We learn that it's um, worn by someone from the House of Achilles. However, when the mask is lifted, it turns out that it's being worn by someone who is a past love, if you want to put it that way, at least the way it's implied. Castor is there. She believed him to be dead. They had an ongoing relationship in the past. And... I'm like, damn it, she has just taken me for a roller coaster of emotions in two pages, and I'm here for it, but I'm also a little bit annoyed because it's done so well that I feel like the wool was pulling over my eyes. What did you think of how that played out? I don't think anybody could have assumed that the hunter that we see would have been somebody friendly. Right. Right. But the way that she explained the hunt and the hunter is that if a single hunter finds her, you know, they're going to be after her. And then you see one and they come down and they fight her in this fighting ring around all these people. Mm -hmm. And he's friendly and he's laughing and he's just giving these like, hey, you like no times passed. And Lore is pissed. She is angry deep down inside of her. And I felt that. I was like, you know, I didn't care that he was a friend or maybe a past lover. I and mean, we don't really get any of those details. Right. But you think something's going on the way she's explaining him. But the way the writer is explaining how she's feeling, I'm, I was with her. I was like, how dare he just come in here like this? And especially when we find out that she's grieved him for seven years. Seven years. That is a long time. Right. I Mm -hmm. I was like, damn. And then I was like, okay, 
She grieved him for seven years. They are, they get into a physical fight. They also have chemistry. There's some really good banter in Mm -hmm. there. The description of him I thought was interesting because it wasn't as detailed as I was expecting for someone who she'd had a relationship for seven years, but that's okay because we find out a little bit more about that later. Mm -hmm. But I'm a sucker for good antagonistic banter between two people I suspect might have some sort of romantic dynamic later on. So I was definitely hooked into that. But then we not only had their chemistry element, we had him telling her, I need your help. I don't know who I can trust, which is another great hook as far as Mm -hmm. me wanting to know more. And then that's followed up on the next page with him saying that he, we don't know who he is, is looking for something, and I don't know if it's you referring to her. And so all of a sudden, we've got antagonistic, possibly romantic banter chemistry. We've got a, I need your help. um, And we've got a, you're in danger, but I don't know if you're in danger. (laughs) I was like, I am here for it. Mm -hmm. What did you think of how that, how she continued to build the tension? I think that it was really well done. And, um, the part that I think made it even better was at the end of Caster bringing this conversation, this fight, this plea of help, this, you know, hey, a little bit of a warning. He just leaves. He just leaves. And he does that with someone else who we find out the character's name is Evander. Mm-hmm. Evander looks to be a sidekick who may or may not have good intentions for her. He may have good intentions for Achilles, but whether or not those mm-hmm. he feels the same for her is sort of hinted at in there. They the, definitely have a past. They, oh, they yeah. know each other. Yeah. In my mind, when I was reading it, I was like, okay, these are two people who in my fan fiction were young loves. And this was the best friend of him. And whatever happened when they broke up, Evander blamed lore. That's in my mind, what I'm creating in my head as Mm -hmm. I'm trying to figure out what's going on now, whether or not that's true. Don't know, (laughs) but that's the canon that I'm creating in my head for this couple that I'm sort of digging already. And we're only into the second chapter. The chapter ends with, and I there is no way I'm going to say this word correctly, so I apologize in advance. After Achilles and Evander leave, she starts to follow, but then goes back. And on a cup, there is a word smeared that says, and it's, and once again, it's Greek. I have no clue how to, it's actually pronounced, apodotraskinda? Once again, can't say it at all. <laughs> cannot say this at all like my tongue can't even wrap around the pronunciation and so we've got a chapter that where we just had all this stuff building up and then we have this strange word that she might know the meaning of but we don't mm-hmm. what did you think of how chapter two ended you know i did i did like how they kind of like you know she rushes out after him he's gone but she's really perceptive she sees this cup. It just happens to have something on it. She reads it and she recognizes it. Right. I know she does, you know, because it it was meant to be there. She was meant to be the one to read it. Chapter three begins with her interacting with someone by the name of Miles, who is briefly introduced at the end of chapter two. Mm-hmm. I thought that the character description for Miles was fantastic. Oh my gosh. Yes. Like what was crazy about that is I was sort of expecting that kind of a description for Achilles. And I'm going to read you this description because it's so well written. 
Miles treated his body like a piece of art, letting it speak for him, his moods, his interests, and the people he carried in his heart. His skin was colored by an array of tattoos, from gorgeous florals and vines that wrapped around his torso to modern art faces he designed himself, to mountains, eyes, and bands of shapes only he knew the meaning of. When she was describing his tattoos, I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. And we find out in a fu- subsequent paragraph that he's also gay and that he is her roommate. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of Miles, how Miles was introduced? Hands down, amazing. I mean, one, even with that description, you understand who Miles is. Yep. Like, you know the kind of person he is, you know that he loves deeply. But the thing is, she didn't describe him physically. No. There's very little description. You don't know if he's tall or fat or anything like that. And so it's just this very interesting way where she describes him and you know this character, but you couldn't pick him off of a street. Right. It, so, there was no there was no playing card description, like mm-mm. like a sports card mm-hmm, description yeah. of him. There was no height, weight. Yeah. Yeah bicep size whatever the case you want whatever you want to call it as this chapter continues she's continuing to be haunted by what achilles has told her Mm -hmm. um he's looking for something and i don't know if it's you Uh, before we continue on with that i want to talk a little bit about the role that new york city plays in this because you um, alluded to earlier the fact that her descriptions of the Chinese restaurant were really good. A lot of times New York City ends up being another character in pop culture narratives, whether Mm -hmm. that's film, movies, books, whatever. I was looking at this and I was like, the descriptions are good, but she's doing something interesting, at least for me, and maybe you'll disagree, where New York City isn't so much a character. Mm -hmm. It's it's just really well described. Yeah, it's just the backdrop. Yeah. It's it's it doesn't have to be a big thing. And and as everybody knows, New York is this big thing to everybody. Right. Um and so when I first read that it was set in New York City, New mm-hmm. York City, I, I was concerned that it'd be like, oh, you have to listen to all this stuff. But nope, she doesn't worry about that. She doesn't muddy the waters with having to bring new york to life she just explains it it's streets it's dirty streets and it's subways and it smells and it's taxis but it's that's it just a backdrop not this living breathing thing of its own so i was really excited for that the chapter continues we have the haunting words from achilles we have her continuing to or we're getting insight into her how her grief for gill affects her we're finding out more details about her relationship with miles as as they're returning to the brownstone where they live and they find blood Mm -hmm. on their way home which by the way her uh, miles do i have to explain to you the rules of new york city Uh, was i i laughed out loud i i thought it was amazing because living in a big city like that that's absolutely a thing like right don't randomly touch stuff right don't right. do it. <laughs> right. It was it was a nice it was a nice little touch. I, I admit that I didn't catch it, but I get why you did. Mm-hmm. They follow the blood. It turns out that they it's leading them to their own brownstone. And we find a woman on the brownstone bleeding. She tells Laura to attend her. Mm-hmm. And 
those words are described by uh, Alexander Bracken as a sword striking a shield with the impact that it had to lore. We find out that this is the goddess, the original goddess, Athena, and right before she passes out. Pretty good cliffhanger if you... Mm-hmm. If yeah. you're doing it. I mean, we've now got Greek gods that are actually in the present and they're passing out. Right. Which is not something you would expect from a Greek god, per se. Very true. And also, you know, we again had already had that conversation with Lore that the hunts is not good for her. She does not want to be around it. And she doesn't want people to find her. And she walks to her own house. And there is the goddess Athena cannot end well there's nothing here so you have to turn this page because the whole premise of the hunt is that the old gods the original old gods are hunted by individuals the hunters who are trying to kill them and take the powers for themselves and basically become the reincarnation of that god Mm -hmm. that's the basic premise that we've learned as the book is building and so the fact that you have an old god who's vulnerable on the brownstone, it takes us into the next chapter where Laura literally tells her, I'm not going to kill you. Mm-hmm. But then we're getting this also, these quiet moments where she's having to tell Miles what to do, but also stay out of it. Like she wants mm-hmm. to get Miles out of there because he she's got to deal with Athena. And so she sends him off to get bleach. And then while that is going on, we get a, no puns intended, a lore dump in terms of Athena's history and a little bit of Lore's history. Mm-hmm. And it's not just something where you feel like you've been slammed in the head with an encyclopedia right. about Lore. We it, we find out that Aphrodite was killed a century earlier, that Ares um, has an imposter, which Athena refers to someone who, the imposter is someone who had actually killed the original Ares mm-hmm. and has now taken his powers. And the chapter ends with a cliffhanger where Athena tells Lore she knows who murdered her family, mm-hmm. which if you take that all the way back to the first chapter and we open up the book with the quote from the mother. Mom once told me the right. best way to get to know somebody is to fight them. Chills. Chills mm-hmm. for me. What did you think of how chapter four was both quiet and intensified the feeling of possible fight flight and now there's a hint of revenge yeah i mean this is definitely the point where you knew that even though lore did not want to be part of the hunt this was her hook you knew that going forward she couldn't have kept away and with athena being there giving her you know, this carrot dangling out in front of her, I was a bit disappointed, you know, like you have lore and you have her going through all this stuff, even in these just first couple chapters, Mm -hmm. she's going through this grief of Gil and she's going through, you know, this, this inability to find herself as, you know, we learned that she's out of the hunt, but that's obviously a big thing for everyone Mm -hmm. who was in it. And I was just disappointed that, she wasn't going to be able to stay out, you know, and and that's because already this character, I connected with her and granted it has to be a book. So you knew that that was going to happen, but it still was just kind of oh, 
well, now I have to see how it goes, you know? And so, and we're only on chapter four. We're not even to the end of chapter five, which is the title of this podcast, the first five chapters. So (laughs) like, we've got an entire chapter left and I'm thinking to myself as I'm diving into chapter five. So the backstory starts coming out. Lorsa responds to the cliffhanger in chapter four, where Athena is basically teasing it, who killed her family. She says, I already know who did it. She refers to the house of Cadmus. Athena replies, the false god may have ordered their deaths, but who held the blade? For it was not he. He was only a newborn god. And basically, from that statement to the end of chapter five, it is a race between the reader and the writer to see when and how Lore's finally going to give in to the hunt. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What did you think? You know, chapter five was very interesting because you see another side of Lore. You see how cunning and smart she is as she makes Miles go and get the bleach from Mm -hmm. the diner. And then she orders him to go upstairs. You know, she's trying to protect him because she loves so fiercely. And you can tell that by a lot of the things that she said. And then she proceeds to clean up everything. But then she goes, well, I have to make sure that they don't follow me here. And so she spreads it all around the area before coming back home, stripping practically naked as she walks through the the city streets, which in New York probably wouldn't be that unnormal. But but then she talks with Athena and she's going back and forth and there they've kind of have this banter and, and she says something to Athena and realizes that she's been the, what she said is aggressive to a God. And she realizes it like, Oh my gosh, she could literally kill me right now. But then she has to, she keeps reminding herself. I can't kill her. I can't kill Athena. because I don't want those powers. And so it's this internal struggle with her of trying to figure out what she wants to do, what she needs to do. And if she's going to let herself get back into the hunt, it doesn't take much really from Athena. Probably one of my things that I was a little disappointed in on how easily Lore falls back in. Okay. That's interesting because what I thought my take on it was in, in chapter five, before we get to the, the cliffhanger, we start to see where, Athena calls Lore on her bullshit rationalizations. I am a, I can rationalize most anything. You know this. You've <laughs> been my friend for a very long time. You know I can rationalize anything. But much like Athena, you will call me out for those things. And so Athena, when getting to the heart, the core of what Lore really wanted was an exploration of character for Lore that felt organic based on every all the conf, the conflict that internal conflict that she'd had in the, the previous four chapters and then it also basically explained for me at least why she chose to accept Athena's bargain and become her champion which is the cliffhanger of chapter 5 i it felt too easy for you but what did you think of the fact that when she finally accepted it I'm not saying that 
it wasn't what she was going to do and that it absolutely made sense because it did it absolutely made sense why she accepted athena's request to kind of bond with her during Mm -hmm. this I i thought it was really well done but it doesn't mean that I'm not disappointed. Right. That it felt like it was easy. Uh, it felt like Athena knew exactly what to say to be able to get what she wanted or what she needed. But isn't that what gods, Greek <laughs> gods, are supposed to do? Like, whether or not you're reading a book or whether or not you watched Hercules or Xena back in the day, like, the Greek gods knew how to toy with humanity. So the fact that she did that for me... I get what you're, I totally get what you're saying from a standpoint of it could have felt quick, but maybe that's just one of those things that I chalk up to gods know how to push buttons in, with humanity. And maybe that's the thing is because Laura isn't human. Okay. She's part of this. Right. So. Because her family. Yeah. Which I know that you said that the bond with Athena and Lore was the cliffhanger. I don't agree. Okay. What do you consider the cliffhanger? Miles coming down and saying, what is going on? You have to explain this to me. Because again, for Lore, people are her thing. She loves fiercely her parents, Castor, Gil, Miles. Those people are important to her. And so the moment that Miles walks down those stairs and he hears her, Except this bond with Athena, and who knows what else he all heard, because he's sneaky, right? And um, and not in a bad way, not in a bad way. That that is the cliffhanger because that is. Laura has tried to separate her hunt life and her human life, and to protect Miles, this whole time, and him being brought into this. That's what got me. How is she going to get herself out of this? And is she going to be able to? Which brings us to the wrap up of the first five chapters. Now that we've discussed the bigger beats, would this be a book that you would continue to read? A. And B, would you be recommending it to other people? And what would your out of five stars be? Since it's five chapters, let's go five stars and just (laughs) have the number five coincide with everything. So for this book, the first five chapters for me, I really love that we were kind of kept in the dark with a lot of things. We got a little bit of information here and there, enough to kind of drag us along, but it didn't give us like a ton of backstory um, where it lets the author really kind of set the pace for us instead of making us remember a bunch of details to make the rest of it make sense. She kind of slowly gives you information that you need to know at that point which kind of keeps you going along you know at first it was just a little bit of information about the hunt and hunters and how dangerous they are and then there's a hunter and then there's athena and then there's this backstory about lore and her family and you know all of that so it's not like we learned a whole five chapters about the hunt from eons ago we learned only what we needed. And I loved that about the start of this book because it is a great hook. It keeps you entertained. It keeps you knowledgeable that going forward, the next the next step for me would be to keep reading. So for me, I would absolutely keep reading this book. 
uh, spoiler, I have already finished the book. Okay. And um, I would recommend it to somebody else, especially if somebody enjoys Greek mythology. I thought that um, this was one of the most unique Greek mythologies yes. that I had read in a very long time. It felt authentic. Yep. Um, but then also didn't feel like it was trying to rewrite all of Greek mythology, mm -hmm. um, which sometimes you get where they're like, oh, we're not going to adhere to any of the Greek mythology Rules. stuff. I yeah. Canon. Canon. Um, but then this was authentic to itself with different different take on it. So absolutely. Out of five stars? I would give it a four. I totally see why you did that. For me, lore was... Wicked as you wish is the basis for this podcast. Mm -hmm. And I love the name. It, every time I say it out loud, it makes <laughs> me smile. I think that the author did a, a ton of really clever things in that book. But for me, Lore was the book of 2022 or 2021, pardon uh, me. And so for me, this is a five out of five. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I very much enjoyed it. For me, giving a five is, is really hard. Five has to be a book where... I can't put it down ever. Like, See, that um, was that was me for this book. Like I read this was the first book since Harry Potter, the last Deathly Hallows book, where I stayed up all night and read it. <laughs> like that was meat lore for me. I read that thing straight through and I re like I didn't regret it the next day, but boy, I paid the price. <laughs> um and so for me, this was definitely a, a five out of five. I read it in two settings. Um not not like over like weeks or weeks right. or anything like that. Um, so it it was a very strong four, probably four and a half okay. um, if we were doing half stars. But, okay, um, well, you're welcome to do halves if you like. <laughs> well, you you're know, welcome other to go half seas. comfortable with half stars and since, uh, you know, going forward, be consistent. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was really good. I think that, you know, the author, you know, really catches you in the first five chapters. And the wrap-up of the book, spoilers, is really good. I think that the book itself ends up being very strong. And you really care about the characters and the losses and, and everything that goes on. So, Thank you so much for joining me today, having this discussion. Thank you for being the first person who I've done a duo book review with. Yay! <laughs> The first episode is me talking about a book I really love by myself. So this is like, the, like I said, there's going to be different formats with this podcast as it evolves and grows. There will be episodes where I just talk about a book. There will be episodes where I have people come in and they will be friends. Some of them will be local. Some of them will be online across the various platforms for recording episodes whether it's skype or zoom or whatever it is back when this back when my other podcast started we used skype and now everybody in the world is on zoom or discord or whatever it is so it's been interesting to see the evolution but i thank you so much for joining me today where can people find you on social if they want to uh find you on twitter yeah you can find me on twitter at ck ekholm e-c-k-h-o-l-m I talk about video games and my cats, and um, I do um, reviews for um, previews for movies, usually. Um, we just saw Jurassic World, and uh, oh. we talk about, um, I always put what the reviews are, and if I would pay to go see it in a theater or not. Um, not many on this last movie that I would pay to go see. Ooh, ooh, so. ooh. <laughs> 
Yeah, that is that is maybe a discussion for a different podcast. And I have one that we could discuss it on, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Of course. Glad to be here. Enjoy this episode or the show? Support us by writing a review on iTunes and Spotify. Follow us on social media by checking out the profiles linked in every episode. And finally, join the First Five Chapters Facebook group to share your passion for books, writing, and to make topic suggestions for future episodes. As always, thank you for listening. And remember, it's up to you whether or not to read beyond the first five chapters.